Have you ever noticed patterns and repetitions in your life that just seem a little too on the nose? Some folks call them coincidences, synchronicities, glitches in the simulation. If these repetitions happened in a fictional story, the audience would be like, well, that's not realistic. But when they happen in life, it's like you can see the gears turning in the universe. This summer, I began realizing key events in my life always happen on an equinox. And I also find during equinoxes, I encounter people from the Southern Hemisphere. During the fall equinox of 2023, I discovered someone who was doing a lot of work around the same social movement I was involved in and who was, like me, photographing and documenting the same events I was photographing and documenting. This person was also named Carly, and the parallels in our lives are uncanny. This week on the Astrology of Terrible Things, I talk with my very own glitch in the simulation, Carly Delso Saavedra, the Southern Hemisphere Carly. We also talk about the other September 11th, September 11th, 1973, the Chilean coup d'etat, an event that's pretty much been erased from American history books, but is something that everyone should know about. And it also happens to be an event that played an important role in Carly's life. Interestingly, we're recording this episode the day after Henry Kissinger, who was the key supervillain in the Chilean coup. We're recording this the day after he died. And it's a huge synchronicity because we've been planning this podcast for over a week now. The universe is bonkers and we're about to find out what happens when we break it by talking to our cosmic doppelganger. Welcome to the Astrology of Terrible Things podcast with me, Carly Heath. And today I'm joined by Southern Hemisphere Carly, Doppel Carly, Carly Delso Saavedra, who I've talked about before on this podcast. Our paths converge during the equinox and we have a ridiculous amount of things in common, including our names and what we've been doing this summer. In fact, the whole story of how we met may be evidence that we are in fact living in a simulation and whoever's running the code has not had their coffee and is just copying and pasting without regard to how things are showing up in the material world for everyone. But before I get into all of that, this is a podcast where we bring you stories of terrible things that have happened. And then we delve into the astrology of the terrible thing and try and figure out why bad things happen. Important note, this podcast comes with all the trigger warnings. If you are triggered by death, we talk about it. Um, so be warned. If that's not fun for you, or if that's not something that you want to listen to, then please don't listen to, to the show. Oh, let's get right into it. How did we meet, Carly? Hello, Carly. <laughs> me on the show. This is exciting. So this is so much fun. I love, I love how we met. We met on uh, YouTube through just the comment section on YouTube. I know. I had, <laughs> I had been at the rally, the rally in March from uh, Netflix to Paramount. And I was there as a photographer and found myself pressed up against the front stage and realized that I could just maybe set up a tripod and record all of the speeches while I was taking pictures. So at the end of all of this, I have speeches and I wanted to put them out there into the world because they're important messages to be to be heard. I was looking for videos mm -hmm. of the speeches uh, because I played a role in 
creating them. And so uh, you were one of the first people to like upload videos of the speeches. That's awesome. <laughs> like they they eventually came out, but like really you yeah. were like the one who like labeled each one and like had them specifically cut out. And I saw that your name was Carly and I was like, well, that's weird. Oh, and by the way, this the day that I reached out to you on YouTube was the day when I also ran into a famous Chilean actor um, while I was at Warner Brothers. And that was like a huge big deal because that was like one of the turning points where I'm like realizing I meet a lot of people from the Southern Hemisphere around Equinox. Also, like at that moment, like at Warner Brothers, found myself surrounded by Australians and like just like for the longest time, just like chatting with a bunch of Australians. And I was like, this is triggering memories for me. <laughs> and the Australians were like, uh, oh, yeah, um, you know, people from the Southern Hemisphere wake up during the fall Equinox because this is our summertime. And I'm like. That makes sense too. But also like I did a, another podcast for someone else uh, with an Australian and I was like, they're all, I'm surrounded by Southern Hemisphere people. But what was especially startling is I had already been following for like a while your Twitter account, which is Our Flag Means Strike, which is leveraging and mobilizing the Our Flag Means Death fandom to help the strike uh, efforts, uh, especially at Warner Brothers. And you had already been at Warner Brothers a bunch of times, which is the main place that I had been all summer. Um, and, but we just hadn't crossed paths until the equinox. That's kind of amazing. Um, so we have a ridiculous amount of things in common. Uh, we, one, we are both have had our lives, our brains, our DNA chemistry changed by our flag means death. And my love for Steed Bonnet, Gentleman Pirate, is <laughs> my entire identity since 2022 when that show dropped. Um, and I know that Steed Bonnet, Gentleman Pirate, has played a huge role in your life. Mr. Steed Bonnet, yes. However, I am, I am Blackbeard. Like, I... <laughs> <laughs> like, That's yeah, as a Scorpio, is. you're Blackbeard. And as, as like, a Scorpio, I'm As a Libra, I'm very, <laughs> like, I identify with Steed Bonnet. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, he's, uh, yeah, he's definitely... A cutie pie, but I, I, my, my identity is actually all in a black beard, which I find a fun balance with like how you and I already have everything in common, and this is kind of like the, for, in terms of a fandom, like coming in from like these two main characters that are opposites but not. It's awesome. <laughs> I, uh, but you also kind of like inspired by the show, decided to kind of change your life. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like no, no, my my life absolutely took a huge huge turn and and it did for so many people in the fandom um just in 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 the theme of the show and kind of the hope that it gave in the um in a story arc that that tells you that that life can just go on that you know this that this isn't an ending that life just can go on and um that it's never too late to to restart something um if you find yourself in a rut or if you find yourself like sad and lost and broken <laughs> yeah, so, yeah and like the show is all about that so. and like you're the same age kind of, around the same age mm -hmm. as the characters and you kind of like decide you saw like oh wow this character is like making a huge change in his life and choosing adventure like in a middle-aged space and you're mm -hmm. like I can do that too 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It resonated with me so much. Um, I mean, the show just captivated captivated me from the very first episode. I think by the time Blackbeard was introduced where I could see like full body outfit, like I was already while watching the show, like reaching into my closet to find out like what I already had in order to play cosplay this character. And I've only ever cosplayed once before for one person. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not even like it wasn't even in my like, I don't know, chemistry to, <laughs> to like go out and cosplay this character in, in Comic Cons and everything. But like Blackbeard inspired me to even on that level do do the costuming for him. I think uh, Mary with her um, We Only Live This One Life, uh, like inspired me to finally let go of something that had been sad and lonely and dragging me, um, kind of just dragging my heart in, in making hard decisions with people that we love. So this show actually inspired me to divorce my <laughs> partner of like 27 years um, because it just 27. Has- by, the, <laughs> by the way, astrology people who are listening are hearing 27 and are like, oh, 27 is the Saturn return of your relationship. Um, that's 27 yeah. is a big year. Uh, so, uh, in, so yeah, 27 uh, basically is when Daddy Saturn, who is the kind of taskmaster, the teacher, the stern teacher, rather than the fun teacher, comes along and is like, Are, have you learned whatever lesson that this 27 years has been meant to teach you? Um, and sometimes then at that point, the lesson is to release that thing or cause like a conflict that makes you realize oh I'm I need to end this because Saturn is the planet of endings or sometimes it's it's about uh crystallizing something and like having a new awareness of it and then that's changing the direction that you're going forward with it but in this case it's like you decided okay an ending is going to happen and it's going to be a course yeah and yeah (laughs) this is awesome I love that I I I have to admit my ignorance about a lot of astrology and numbers and stuff. <laughs> this is no, this is really good because you'll be able to stop me if I say something and you're like, wait, what do you mean by that? Like, then I'll be able to like explain what it means. And by the way, you guys are probably listening and you're like, wait a minute, we're talking about astrology. We're talking about Henry Kissinger. We're talking about the Chilean coup. We're talking about doppelgangers. We're talking about our flag means death. This is what you get when you come to Carly's podcast. You're going to get all the things, but, but you know, our flag means death, the Chilean coup, Henry Kissinger, they are all, you know, part of the material existence that is human life. And that we're, we're exploring and we're studying the the themes through an archetypal lens, which is my jam. I'm so glad I met you too. Um, interestingly as well, uh, this happened, this kind of decision to divorce happened when you were 48 and uh, 48 in Indian astrology is um, a time when the south node, which is something we'll talk about when we look at your chart, crystallizes, mm-hmm. it brings um, your your spiritual awareness or spiritual lesson that you learned over the past 48 years into material existence. And so that when you turned 48, that was the crystallization of a spiritual lesson that you had spent basically 
four cycles uh, learning because every 12 years is a cycle in this kind of mythical exploration of how life is divided up. And when you turn 48, that crystallizes uh, the lessons of the, the South Node, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, usually it's related to endings, like letting go of something. Mm, that is awesome. So yeah, so going on the theme of letting go, like uh, just letting go of the fear of releasing something that that provided so much stability and security in my life. So mm -hmm. tying back into Chile and being a political refugee and coming into this country and you know not knowing anybody, not having family, family or community. My my closest brother and sister to my age and me um, call you know we think of ourselves as feral kids like we just mm -hmm. we. <laughs> We just ran wild and did what we needed to do in order to survive, which is exactly what both my parents did. They just did what they needed to do in order to, to survive. So 27 years of this marriage provided a shelter um, mm -hmm. and it provided something that I, that at the very beginning of all of this, I really just desperately needed some kind of an anchor, some kind of a, like a force that would just kind of uh, make space for me. So to, to release that and um, to kind of like fall into this, this place of kind of fear, but also curiosity and um, kind of coming into like my own, my own strength and being alone and being mm -hmm. um, kind of an individual in the world rather than like this couple that I'd kind of gotten lost into um, over those years, like uh, was definitely a, <laughs> an awakening <laughs> releasing. <laughs> That's amazing. And in a way was like the fandom, the our flag means death fandom, kind of like a net for you a little, like, Absolutely. A, a little, like, here's like this extremely loving community. And I've never like in, in the way that the strikes and the pickets were the, the, our flag means death community. It has its problems, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like an extremely loving community. And you, it's kind of like if if you find if if someone loves the show, chances are they're good people. <laughs> like mm. the show does attract a certain kind of person. Yeah. Have you ever for me, I can honestly say I have never loved a work of art as much as I love Our Flag Means Death. I have never been as enraptured by a work of art as much as Our Flag Means Death. Uh, is that kind of the same thing for you? Has it been like, wow, this is, I love this in, an, an insane amount. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's, it's, it's all encompassing in a non-creepy way. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, uh, there's absolutely things that I've loved. Like Lord of the Rings is something that like, is, is just a forever love for me, like the entire, mm -hmm like the, the world that it built and everything. Um, but I didn't, I did, I wasn't inspired to like go out and find people to go and, and to talk about this, to try to connect with people. Um, this is my first fandom, official yeah. fandom. Um, so I had, I even had to like Google, what is a fandom? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, finding people who were writing the stories and um, making the artwork and doing the, the, the cosplay and just this building up of a creative community that was inspired because of this show. And over and over, I started um, my first like kind of thread into this fandom was through Facebook. Mm -hmm. And in fa through Facebook, I started like following people out into the world of like AO3 and eventually find found my way back into Twitter, um, specifically only just for this fandom. And because it was just this complete sense of awe that I was finding over and over from all these folks who were just like I haven't been inspired to write 
in mm -hmm. a literal decade and suddenly the show comes along and I'm writing fan fiction again and I same had with the, the same artists, like thing. yeah yeah I had like I had a real like block with my writing where it was feeling like work and mm. I wasn't having that same flow and then I started writing our flag means death fan fiction and I've written a hundred thousand words just this summer of, amazing. <laughs> our, of our flag means death fan fiction and it's the most um it's the most like this is all I want to do like I work yeah. and then I open up my computer during my lunch break or whatever and I'm just like instantly our flag means death fan fiction blah blah blah, blah writing 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 mm. and you know getting people saying like more more I want more I want to read it I, you know I can't wait to see the next chapter what you do next and I'm like that encouragement that immediate like feedback but also just like like I can embody these characters I can envision um conflicts for them like and it's just and and it's they're also like working through issues that I'm working through in myself and it's 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 extremely healing and it's a it's a ridiculous amazing thing how healing and creative inducing the show is yeah i've well, never had experienced anything like it that's what that's what inspired um our flag means strike like we mm -hmm. we got together um when the writers first um went on strike because the show is so complete in how it tells its story we wanted to support those writers who created this world for us to all like fall into and meet each other and build each other you know build up from so like it it speaks to the strength of how well the story is told how well the story is written and then you know having the actors come into it as well wanting to support that in, in every way we could as like just fans of a show and figuring out how to do that for the picket line was uh, kind of a fun ride <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's like, you know, we, the kind of parallels of how we meet, of me, like going there because yeah, it's part of my like job that I'm doing, but you, you know, you're, you are on your own just as a volunteer, as someone who's passionate about, you know, the, the movement of workers' rights, but also um, supporting the art and the artists and you're just volunteering your time. And that's amazing that that the parallels there some other parallels that you and I have we both uh have an orange cat <laughs> we're both vegetarian <laughs> we're both queer your mom's uh res revolutionary like alias name was Carly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep <laughs> she, she took uh her name is Carmen and she needed something to use as like uh her alias for all of the murals that they would write she was a college student at the time and seven months pregnant with me when the coup d'etat happened and um, was like sneaking out after curfew and scaling fences and writing uh, like a message anti, um, you know, imperialist messages on the walls and like putting all these murals up in like the dead of night. And like one of her, her name was part of like Carmen, but wanting to add some kind of an ending to it and made up my name on no. that's um, amazing so <laughs> so your mom was an artist yes yeah like, muralist yeah oh my gosh that's amazing yeah, she's a painter a muralist a, a, a poet she's amazing because <laughs> I'm an artist too and that's um that's amazing to me I mean and I've been thinking about doing street art maybe your mom has inspired me to get into my street art like do it let's briefly pop in and look at your chart uh 
And then we'll talk about the Chilean coup. So your North Node is in Cancer, just um, like Salvador Allende. His um, his South Node is in Cancer and your North Node is in Cancer. Um, so this is a good time for us to talk about what the nodes are. Um, yes, the, ner- the nodes are mathematical points uh, between the sun and the moon um, that whenever the sun and the moon um, line up on these points, that is when an eclipse happens. And an eclipse mm. usually happens um, for like four times a year, solar eclipse, lunar eclipse, solar eclipse, un- lunar eclipse. And the nodes move into different portions of the zodiac every 18 months or so. And the, the mythology, like the ancient mythology around what eclipses are and what the nodes are, um, is that in ancient times, there's this idea that there was a dragon and the dragon wanted the elixir of immortality that the immortal gods had were drinking. So the, the dragon like dressed up in a disguise, went to the party where the immortal gods were drinking their immortal elixir. And he tried to drink the immortal elixir, but the gods found him out and chopped off his head. And the head of the dragon went into one part of the sky and the tail or the anus of the dragon went into the other part of the sky. And they're forever kept apart. And so whenever there's an eclipse, it's the, um, it's the, the head and the tail of the dragon. And um, in your birth chart, wherever the head of the dragon is, which is the North Node, that is your place of insatiable um, hunger. And, um, and I want this, I want this this thing so bad and throughout your the whole course of your life, you will never be satiated wherever your North Node is. It's so, anyway, it's so interesting looking at your chart and then looking at the Chilean coup and looking at Salvador Allende's chart because it's all like connected. And the South Node is usually where you will be releasing things, especially when there's eclipses happening. Um, You'll be letting things go. Like I know when um, the eclipse was happening in my... um, Last year, uh, you know, I, I my two doggies passed away. Uh, I lost my job. Um, so it's letting go of things that their time has come and they're they're ready to pass out of material existence. Um, but it's also a, a very spiritual place because um, where you're able to let go of things, that's where when you're having like a spiritual awareness of oh, you know, that's that's something that's really hard for humans in the material world to really grasp is when something is ready to let go, to to release. Because uh, your North Node is in Cancer, there is this desire to provide for others. There's this desire uh, for nurturing, especially for you in your eighth house, which deals with um, the idea of connecting with someone and sharing resources with someone. What's your relationship to to things like what you owe people, debts and things like that? Um, Like on a personal level, like I, or, I yeah. keep it all even. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to like credit cards, I had a little bit of trouble, but. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and there, there is, um, for you, there's a, a Saturn, which is the planet mm. of endings and restriction, um, has recently, uh, before you were born past your, your North node. Um, so in, during the Chilean coup, the Saturn was exactly, exactly over the North node. And so that re reflects, there was this ideal to, you know, distribute wealth to workers to, you know, expand Chile, Chile's middle class to, I mean, I was looking at all the things that um, Salvador did, like Ooh. he made education available. He was trying to get healthcare to everyone. He was trying to raise everyone's um, salaries and wages while keeping the cost of things low. Um, and when I go through this long list of everything he's accomplished, I'm like, oh my God, like we, we in the United States are like, well, we kept this guy president for four years because he didn't have anything too bad happen. <laughs> but like Salvador, he was like literally doing all the things he was like, just the list of accomplishments was crazy mm -hmm. and Saturn coming along and is, just, is putting an end to that. So there is a lesson in your life. That's kind of something that you're going to always be throughout the whole course of your life, learning for thinking about uh, your relationship with other people's resources, um, freedom in a way, some sort of freedom uh, from other, from debts, uh, freedom from one, the desire to kind of connect with other people, but like also, um, that, that strange back and forth between connection and freedom. Does that, any of that make sense? Like I was, I was starting to catch on a little bit with like that Northern note of like the insatiable mm -hmm. kind of leading into, um, wanting to help others and serve like yeah. those, those two definitely res resonate, um, with like what I've just tried to do all of my life. Yeah. Um, and it likes you photography um, specifically. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And you're, when we look at your chart, um, since you are born during the daytime, the mm -hmm. best part of your life is your siblings. Um, is that true? Yeah. I do and, love them immensely. And the <laughs> most challenging part of your life is your creativity and your relationship to romance and possibly children. Have you ever thought about having children and or is that like something because the Mars makes me think and the moon and the Aries makes me think that probably not interested in having children. Yeah, I think so. I, I biologically, of course, like there were points in my life where I was just like, yeah, babies, we need to make babies right now. <laughs> oh, but no, I think overall, like arc has been no kids. And I think recently um, my brother and sister, again, the ones closest to my age who were kind of part of this kids who were raising kids in another country that, you know, my parents were at the time, um, like unconsciously, all of us decided not to have kids. Like we didn't, none of us had kids in the end, like my closest brother and sister to me. And I think part of that was just kind of thinking about, like we were thinking about how that is um, unconscious way of like um, stopping generational trauma on, in its tracks. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, no, kids, kids is not happening with any of my uh, siblings on the, at least the part of my mom's side. So, yeah. 
And, but it's interesting. It also says this part of your chart deals with your relationship to creativity. And um, so your, your relationship to creativity and art making, there is a, there's some tension there. Um, there's mm. some conflict there. What kind of conflict or tension, maybe self-doubt, anxiety? Have, have you felt like you're thwarted by something in some way? This is so cool. Thanks for asking. No problem. <laughs> um, so photography specifically, I, I fell into it in high school, fucking fell in love with it. I did a lot through um, high school into college. I actually studied it as, as my major in college and was in like full, all in. Um, and then I got married and then I think there's like there's this relationship of and it runs through my head like um like Gandalf um to be a photographer is to be alone (laughs) yeah so like as a couple I didn't give myself permission to like go off into the world and document the things that I wanted to document because it was just like there was home life and and there's work and the cycle of home life and work just kind of took over um there were a few times where like I was able to because something big was happening like um, the building up of the second war in the Gulf. I found a bunch of anarchists to run down the streets with and take pictures of. And oh, I love that. <laughs> Anarchist really photography <laughs> is such a Aries uh, fifth house. Aries fifth house with Mars in there, Mars and the moon. Anarchist photography. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So photography has been the anchor that, that kind of has has been like where my creativity has always uh, found its kind of found its roots like its deepest roots and I've put that camera down so many times over and over again over like these 50 years and <laughs> kind of tying it back into gay pirates like I dusted off my camera quite literally in order to attend um, ECCC and take mm-hmm. pictures of people um, in cosplay um, because I wanted to start documenting this incredible fandom and so like f- like probably prior to that it was like 2001 when I had like mm-hmm. when I was in it and running around and do, and, and be, trying to like uh, kind of nourish this passion of photography again. And, and then I put the camera down and I had to come back into it again because of this. So, oh uh, yeah, so that, that maybe that tension is just kind of like, I've, I've always, um, I've, I've wandered away from it mm-hmm. um, for all these different reasons. But like, every time I come back, it's like, I find my passion and my fire and um, like the drive that just kind of moves me forward every time. passion and fire are very mars words (laughs) Uh, we love to to see it um and hopefully now that you've passed your 48th year where you have crystallized whatever that north node south node life lesson that you've been going through related to and, and you encapsulate it perfectly that that conflict between the married life and the photography life and how to be a photographer is to be alone and and all of that that's such a perfect cancer um you know capricorn north node south node axis and with with the mars and moon in your fifth house you're it's just the story there is all in your chart like is what i'm saying and so so i'm hoping um that if if you have crystallized and learned this lesson that then you will you can blossom as a photographer especially if you can really leverage groups of people um because i that is kind of your destiny as a photographer is is photographing groups of people doing things (laughs) and no absolutely movement like yeah movements there's like this, uh, there's this pull and it's, it's, I was born into it. I was born into, um, you know, 
the what is it, the, the dying embers of like this revolutionary idea um, in my country, but it was about the the movement of like the people and people being united, the people, the power of the people, all of that. So every time I start seeing that kind of like in the world around me, that's when I have that instinct to grab my camera and hit the streets and go. Very cool. So um, something that you should pay attention to, maybe write down this date on December 22nd, uh, Mercury will be in what's called a Kazemi exactly on your South node. And one of my favorite astrologers, Adam Ellenbaugh says, this is like inheriting a noble but difficult mission. So there's something, some major turning point that's going to be happening in your life around December 22nd. And uh, so something that's really interesting in in your chart, like I've said this in previous podcasts, episodes, um, me and Jesse, the co-host of this podcast, we both have this zero degree Libra Aries axis, uh, where my ascendant is zero degrees Libra, her ascendant since moving to Vegas is zero degrees Aries. And your nodes, which are very important parts of your life, are at zero degrees Cancer and Capricorn. So you're kind of like in our tribe a little bit, but whereas me and Jesse are equinox children, you are a solstice child. So uh, whereas me and Jesse are like uh, equal part, we, we are the balance, equal parts, light and dark. Uh, you are the highest point of light. You Your nodes are on the day when there is the absolute most light in the sky. Um, that's the solstice. And your South node, um, when you have this Mercury Kazemi, that is, that is going to be during the darkest part of the year. So I'm really curious to see how the symbolism of a very dark day, uh, where there is the shortest day of the year, uh, where Mm. the the longest night of the year, um, and you've already, we've talked a little bit about the depression, both you and I are Mm. experiencing because of the mixture of being, Ah, the, you know, in the Northern hemisphere during the winter is a bummer. Um, Mm. And this, with the strikes being over, we feel like our purpose has, has been diffused and we're, we're like, what are we doing? We, we've Mm -hmm. lost that camaraderie. So, so both of us are dealing with depression. So I kind of wonder what that is, that story is going to be for you. Um, so I hope you'll tell me when it happens. <laughs> yeah, I'll December. pay extra attention on December 22nd. Yeah, pay extra attention. <laughs> this is our charts together. It, it, you know, I'm a Libra rising. So Libra is your 11th house. You have Pluto and Uranus in your 11th house, but your, your 11th house is triggered because it's that where Mars, your fifth house is opposing, is Mars is opposing that Uranus in the 11th house. So you love social change movements. I think as a Libra, as a equinox Libra, zero degrees Libra, I love social change too because that's what the equinox is all about. It's about all about change. I feel like we're always going to be involved in groups. Like that's our our dynamic, something related cool. to groups and fandoms and movements. And I think that's really interesting. Oh, I'm just curious. Uh, what kind of kid were you growing up? I had to I had to grow up pretty quickly. So I, um, I, I was definitely like the kind of the parent to my two younger uh, siblings. Um, mm-hmm. While my parents had to like do the things that they needed to do in order to survive. 
So I was definitely more sedate, serious. Um, I was the one that kind of followed up with like uh, any kind of bureaucracy that we would run into of being like just really poor and needing to like talk to, I don't know, social workers and stuff like that. I was the one that was the the person who dealt with all that stuff. I did my mm. mom's taxes and she sometimes wow. would pull me out of class when I was in high school to like go to her classes in college so I could take notes for her and stuff. So I was the adult. I was a big, I was a big little oh, kid. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's really interesting too, because, okay, you're a Sagittarius rising and your Jupiter is in Aquarius and Aquarius is like a Saturn ruled sign. Saturn is about structure. Saturn is an old sign, you know, because so uh, often it's a, it's associated with that old soul energy, that like mature energy. Um, so, you know, usually Jupiter is like the fun, you know, the fun, exciting, uh, the laughing planet. Um, and, but Jupiter in a Saturn world sign is a little bit more serious, but you, you still come across as a lighthearted person. So <laughs> I, I feel like you have that balance of like being like lighthearted, but like also you can get stuff done. Yeah, for sure. I think oh. uh, not taking myself too seriously is, is a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're also 12th house. You're a 12th house son person like me. So I'm curious, have you ever had a paranormal experience? Yes, very much on the fringes of like, uh, like on the very peripheral area, because my mom is really strong. She can, she's, she's had conversations with like spirits and stuff. Like that. I love it. <laughs> but, oh my God. Yes. That's so cool. It's very strong. <laughs> um, but I like relationship. Uh, so when my cat, uh, Flacco, who was my little orange cat, my heart, um, when he passed away, there was for many years, I would kind of catch him kind of the a blur of him in the corner of my eye, like throughout the house, I would just yeah. see him. Um, and then I think like there was, a, I think I told you the one where we had baby chickens. And like, oh, yeah, I remember you... being at <laughs> school and hearing my one of the chickens like scream. <laughs> and then oh. by the time I got home, kitten, uh, the chicken was okay, but like it had fallen into the oatmeal and it was like struggling. And we were able to like, get a little chicken out and like, clean them up and everything. And, and they survived. But like, I just very distinct like I heard my chicken in the middle of school day <laughs> yeah to find distress. so like there's a couple like uh those kind of things where I'm just like okay needing to keep keep the peripherals open but also like uh trusting a connection to intuition and and trusting that intuition because it, it has led me to some good places yeah you have uh, mercury retrograde and your son in your 12th house which is the house of the liminal realm i i call it mm. it's the land between the spiritual world and the material world and so i find people with 12th house energy like you can communicate with spirits you can see things that maybe people who are like very like material oriented and very like worldly <laughs> cannot see you know i kind of think, think of myself as I'm constantly like on this threshold between the imaginary world and the like real world. And I feel like I can easily like open the door to the imaginary world and like live there for like a really long time. And do you ever feel like that? Yeah, well, one, hey, I forgot to say your writing is incredible. And I hope oh. that you're promoting it through <laughs> through your podcast. It's amazing. Yeah, that the magical realism, like reality, but like one foot in dreams at all times, and, and kind of being okay in, in that space, um, versus shutting that out and, and dealing with like, kind of the, the material reality of this one. I'm much more comfortable in the other space. You're more comfortable in the imaginary space? Oh, yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Me, me too. Oh yeah. That reminds me. Of, um, yeah. I always have one foot in the gravy basket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just finished a, that, that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. You reminded me of that line. And I was like, actually buttons is a character that I feel like I relate to. Um, he's probably like, I, I relate to Steve Bonnet most, but like, I definitely relate to buttons so much. I'm like, I, I know what he is about. Yeah. Um, so the amazing synchronicity that happened, we've been planning this episode, like for whatever, a week or so, or two weeks. I was like, I want to do an episode on the Chilean coup. And we'll also do an episode on our weird things that we have in common. So I was preparing for this talk yesterday. And as I was getting ready to work, I was listening to the news, um, this news report about the CIA and its role in UFO (laughs) retrieval. And I was like, whoa, that's bonkers. Cause I had been thinking a lot about the CIA because I'd been like preparing for this episode on the Chilean coup. And so I was thinking, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to talk about the UFO and and the CIA thing in this podcast. But I was just like so interested in the Chilean coup stuff. I spent my whole lunchtime like reading up about the Chilean coup, about Nixon, about Henry Kissinger, the CIA. And as I'm riding my bike home, there's this huge, gorgeous rainbow that appears like, and it I saw this rainbow for like the longest time. It was like a huge portion of my ride home was like Mm -hmm. looking at this rainbow. And I was like, this has to be an omen of some sort. Something that I'm thinking about right now must be manifesting in the world. And I get home and I open up my laptop and I see Henry Kissinger has died. And that is when I texted you and I was like, oh my God, Henry Kissinger has died. (laughs) And and you told your mom, and what is what did your mom say? My mom was so cute. She was like, "Yay!" (laughs) Was like, "It's about time." (laughs) But what what a coincidence! On the one day where I'm like super super focused on like this on the Chilean coup stuff and researching it and learning about it, and that happens to be the day that Henry Kissinger died. (laughs) Amazing. No, I love I love the symbolism of that beautiful rainbow in the sky. And then you reaching out to me because I had not heard. I don't think I would have heard until today, but like you reached out to me to let me know on the day that it happened. And that, that means a lot. Yeah. I mean, and I you guys go out <laughs> partying and celebrating. <laughs> yeah, I went out and had a little, a little, um, yeah, poured out for like my homies from Chile. <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. For the, not for the one who passed away just now. So, so it's funny because, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, keep, keep going. What were, what were you saying? It was oh, funny so because... I found, well, I found out about uh, Pinochet dying um, mm-hmm. when I was at a farmer's market. Like oh, it wow. was just something that came up on my phone and I'm like standing in front of, like, I'm like trying to buy some groceries <laughs> at the farmer's market. And I looked out on my phone and Pinochet is dead. And I run into some people who I used to run in, who I used to run with as like the anarchists. And I just walked right up to them and I just like stared at them. <laughs> and I said, Pinochet is dead. And then like waterworks. Oh <laughs> like, my God. <laughs> And then I went and sat in curb and cried for quite a bit longer. Oh <laughs> my like, God. What do you do? Like that's such a huge, like, like this incredible, like oppressive force that has mm-hmm. been a part of like my everyday from, from even before I was born. So like for that to just suddenly be gone. Um, yeah. And he never faced any, like, uh, like Kissinger never faced any kind of consequences for any of those actions. So um, a relief that he was gone, but like, damn. <laughs> yeah. I really wanted him to do some time. 
it's amazing the collective release that I I feel like is occurring now that Henry Kissinger is dead and I'm sure was occurring when Pinochet died um, just Mm -hmm. like oh god the evil is defeated Um, but it's also the the shame or the the feeling that I was having which is like how dare he he got to live this long life he Mm -hmm. got to die possibly peacefully um which looking but judging by his chart he probably died peacefully during a venus year while venus was in libra astrology tells us the universe is not fair the universe is just a cycle of good and evil it's a shame but for anyone who's listening and who's not aware of what henry kissinger did and how he is basically the definition of a supervillain uh, I this is uh, some portions of an op-ed by Dr. Saeed Ahmed that was published in the Daily Star. People in Asia know Kissinger for his infamous role in Bangladesh, uh, killing millions, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. He prolonged the war there and initiated carpet bombing in Cambodia, which killed 150,000 people. Now, when I was in school, I learned about Cambodia. But it wasn't put into the context of the U.S. did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We did this to Cambodia. We killed 150,000 people. It was just like, oh, isn't this terrible? This What life is like in Cam- Cambodia. Anyway, but this mm-hmm. is what I learned as I'm growing up and eventually going to college and learning about things. I'm like, oh, my gosh, all this stuff was filtered through this pro-American, pro-imperialist lens. And then when I go to college and actually like learn about the nuances of a situation, we're like, oh, wow, the whole world is trying to find ways to redistribute wealth, to make things more equal for everyone, to make sure workers' wages stay up and corporate profits are equitable, and and mm. resources are distributed to people. America is this giant force that pushes Western imperialism, which is funded by corporations. And we will literally kill millions of people. And we will put fascists in power. We will do whatever it takes to stop equity from happening elsewhere. Um, just so that we can keep our American corporations profitable for the ultra wealthy. Okay, so this is what Henry Kissinger in, in Indonesia, he he was actively involved in Suharto's killing spree and attack that in East Timor that killed at least 100,000 people. It was Kissinger's plan for General Augusto Pinochet, a fascist, to overthrow and kill Chile's democratically elected Salvador Allende in 1973 with extensive support from the CIA. The Nixon administration was active truly willing to work with Allende, but Kissinger in typical Machiavellian style convinced the president to end him instead. After the coup, Pinochet continued his murderous repression with full American support, which Kissinger endured. With an assassin-like apathy, Kissinger repeated the same in 1976 after an Argentine coup overthrow President Isabel Perón, where the military rulers carried out atrocities on an even greater scale. In the so-called Operation Condor that followed, left-wingers were killed throughout Latin America, which some in the State Department pointed out, but Kissinger muffled all such voices. 
This was a repetition of events in Bangladesh where Archer Blood was ostracized by the administration for sending reports of Pakistan's genocidal activities in Dhaka. Kissinger's ambitions and ruthlessness directly resulted in widespread murders and indiscriminate slaughter in Indochina, Bangladesh, Chile, East Timor, the Vietnam War, including conflicts in Laos and Cambodia, perhaps received the greatest publicity in the world press, partly because of the huge public po protests in many countries of the world, including the US. Kissinger knew well that it was an, an unwinnable war, but he still continued it, causing many deaths that could have been avoided. Later, he made sure before interviews that any book about him would not mention or have any questions about the Vietnam War. During the Yom Kippur War between Israel and the Arabs in 1973, he allowed the Israeli army to advance before initiating any diplomatic efforts to stop the war. Later, the U.S. replenished Israel's defense equipment with arms worth $2 billion when Golda Meir asked for $150 million instead. Kissinger left his marks in every continent, almost every country, with similar effects such as large-scale civilian deaths, economic devastation, and perpetual shifting of the balance of power favoring an ally. It is possible that Henry Kissinger has played a role in the mass murder of more people than anyone in human history. And he died at 100 during his fifth house year where Venus was his time lord. The only thing I can think of is maybe Venus was his time lord because all of us are happy venus venus is the planet of happiness joy harmony maybe all of us are happy that he died i hope that he did not die a comfortable death i hope he suffered immensely but I've seen a lot of joy online for it <laughs> yeah we have seen a lot of joy mm -hmm. online for it um and this happened after a full moon in gemini which is his rising sign i'll show you his chart he is a gemini gemini rising with uh, Mars in his first house, very close to his ascendant, very much like Trump, his sun and Mercury retrograde in Gemini. And this is why astrology, I feel like, always shows very objectively who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. <laughs> you know, the, the first house, which represents like, this is who this person is. Um, he's a day chart. So that means Mars is the baddest planet. And he has Mars in his first house. He's a bad guy, pretty straightforward. Um, and he, you know, Mercury retrograde in his first house is ruling, you know, a combust Mercury with uh, the sun very much there. So whenever I see, uh, you know, Mer Mercury combust in a very important angle in someone's chart, this is someone who's very dictated by what his father taught him. And there's this idea he had throughout his life that if you are weak, you should be defeated. Power and strength is the most important thing. And that must be some sort of wound. Like, you know, you can see Venus there, which is that planet of, of harmony, you know, ethics. It's in his 12th house. It's in, it's in the part of the chart that he can't see. And Jupiter is retrograde in his chart ruled by Mars. So Jupiter is the benefic that's associated with justice and, and what's good and right and morals and all of that. And so these planets that are associated with goodness and morals, these are in parts of his chart that he cannot see. You know, the most benefic planet in his chart, which is Jupiter, is being ruled by that retrograde Mars in his first house, uh, which is being ruled by a retrograde Mercury that's combust. So morals, he is, he is pure logic without morals. Um, he is pure strategy without ethics. And when you live your life, just like, how can I 
bring power to my country without any regard for for what it morally ethically means um you will be willing to kill lots of people and interestingly when mercury retrograde is often called at this par part of the mercury retrograde when it's kind of getting close to the sun is called the psychopomp um so in mythology this is the mercury that brings the souls into the underworld and, you know, Mars being a planet that's associated with killing. So this man is, is responsible for bringing uh, so many souls to the underworld. He's the psychopomp. Now let's talk about the Chilean coup. What was your earliest memory of learning about what happened in your country? Uh, so we, uh, we came to the United States when I was about five. Um, and by the time I was six, we were living in um, Iowa City, Iowa, which has, because of the University of Iowa, both my parents were accepted into the University of mm -hmm. Iowa. Um, and so from, from my earliest memories, I remember um, just uh, being part of any of those student um, marches about human rights in the world. So I remember marching when it came to Nicaragua and marching when it came to um, El Salvador and um, going to, um, yeah, going to protests, going to rallies as a kid. Um, because and this was in the, very involved in, that. in the 70s? This was, yeah, so like late 70s, early 80s. Um, even like in high school, there was like a giant walkout for that first uh, Gulf War, you know, the entire school walked out yeah. on. <laughs> wow. So, and but it, I think my earliest, earliest memories were um, just but being very politically aware of the fact that like a lot of shit's going down in the world. It's not for, for the benefit of the people. It's always, it's always being for the benefit of money um, and people in yeah. power with money. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and Iowa, so growing up in Iowa, that seems like a very conservative state, was mm -hmm. it? Yeah, so the University of Iowa uh, is a little blue, blue blip in the state. Um, when I was growing up, it was a leaning a lot more toward purple, but now it's it's firmly in the red, um, mm. with with the exception of these little blue blips here and there. So, so Salvador Allende, who we uh, need to know a little bit about to kind of understand the Chilean coup, he's a democratic mm -hmm. socialist, uh, committed to democracy. He has been described as the first Marxist to be elected president in a liberal democracy in Latin America. Allende's life, like many other revolutionaries, uh, has been unfortunately stripped of a lot of context and reduced to symbolism. And people do not really know just how many things that he's accomplished. You know, we, we think of the moment of his death when we think of him, but he, he had this whole life, very, very interesting life. And I was trying to find documentaries about him, biographies about him. And there is one really good documentary that is not available in the United States in English. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called Salvador Allende. And it was it like one at Cannes. Um, mm. So it had done really, really well, but, but we can't get access to it. And this is, seems to be a theme in the United States. We can't get access to a lot of the details about his life. And it would be really great i would love if there was like a really good english language documentary or book uh that we could get to kind of get the full picture of his life um he was born june 26 1908 if anyone wants to play along and look at his chart in the <laughs> port city of valparaiso he was the fourth child of salvador allende castro and laura gosens uribe and he as was the tradition in chile 
Um, he was named after his deceased elder sibling. He had a sister born three years later, and he was in a, an established middle-class professional family uh, that came from a radical lineage. On his father's side, Allende was descended from a long line of revolutionary masons. His grandfather, Ramon Allende, had been a liberal, a philanthropist, and a social reformer, but not a socialist, Salvador though imbued with the Marxist critique of capitalism and influenced by the revolutionary times he was living in, in the growing up in the 20s and 30s, uh, took the decision to struggle for a total transformation of society, building upon and extending the ideas of his progressive ancestors. Now, in 1930, the average lifespan in Chile was 35 years for a man and 37 years for a woman. Allende wanted to improve this. He went to medical school. He was influenced by a professor who's a German pathologist who emphasized social medicine and the social de de determinants of disease and social medicine. This is a chart of the life expectancy in Chile. Um, and as you can see down here, from 1875 to like 1920, 25, or even 30, most people lived barely above 30. I was like, oh my gosh, why was the life expectancy in Chile so low uh, for so long? And most of the land was controlled by white elites who had large estates called haciendas. The majority of the voters were workers who were instructed to vote for the hacienda owners candidate, basically. So these wow. Ch Chilean elites uh, controlled a lot of the governments. Um, it was a country that was established on racist foundations. And the mestizo laborers were basically just like given a small substance plot to build, grow their own food and survive on. Social medicine was what Allende was about, which is an interdisciplinary field that focuses on the interplay between socioeconomic factors and individual health outcomes. Um, it's rooted in uh, the challenges of the Industrial Revolution, which the Industrial Revolution seemed to lead to a lot of that like low uh, longevity uh, short lifespan issues. Mm. He received his medical degree in 1932 uh, from the University of Chile, where he was a Marxist activist, and he participated in the founding of Chile's Socialist Party, which was founded in 1933, so exactly 90 years ago this year, mm. um, wow. which is really wow. fascinating. After election. Uh, to the Chamber of Deputies in 1937. He served from 1939 to 42 as Minister of Health in the liberal leftist coalition. And interestingly, so you both Allende and you are like in the health field. I just find that kind mm. of interesting. And you both have your nodes in the same sort of place. And so he was elected to the Senate in 1945. Um, he became president of the Senate in 1966. He introduced legislation that established the Chilean Health Service, the first program in the Americas to guarantee universal health care. He did it back in the 50s. We 
in the United States still haven't figured it out. His three unsuccessful bids for presidency prompted him to joke that his epitaph would be, here lies the next president of Chile. Uh, Declassified documents show that from 1962 to 1964, the CIA spent a total of $2.6 million to finance the campaign of Eduardo Free and $3 million in anti-Allende propaganda to scare voters away from... Allende's FRAP coalition, the CIA considered its role in the victory of Free a great success. On September 4th, he won finally the Chilean presidential election. Um, it by plurality, so whoever gets the most, most votes wins. So he got what 36% of the votes, and there were basically three main running candidates. But then when he ran again, right in 1973, he got even more votes. So he like he had like 40% of the vote. So he, he had pretty close to almost getting like a majority in like a plural mm. system. So people were a fan of, of how he did when he was president. In his speech following his election, he said, we are moving towards socialism because the people through their vote have freely rejected capitalism as a system, which has resulted in a crudely unequal society. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> A society deformed by social injustice and degraded by the deterioration of the very foundations of human solidarity. Like how um, inspiring is that, Jesus? Like to think of like my mom and my dad as teenagers in this time, like hearing these speeches and how they moved them to like break curfew laws and run through the streets after his death. I know. And before, like yeah, before we started recording, I was telling you about the um I was listening to a Khan Academy lecture on Allende and just in in America like the propaganda is Marxist mm. immediately bad they don't even define what Marxist is, Marxism is mm -hmm. um he just like basically said well he's a bad guy because he's Marxist mm -hmm. uh this guy did so much for better and none of that is acknowledged in yeah. any american academic books or what's taught in school at all upon assuming presidency allende began to carry out his platform of implementing a socialist program called the mm -hmm. chilean path to socialism that included the nationalization of large-scale industries notably mm -hmm. copper mining and banking and the copper thing was a problem right because um the copper mining and the telecom industry mm -hmm. were intricately connected and um, a lot of the copper mines were owned by American corporations. Is yeah. that right? US in, yeah, US interests, US in, um, investment. Um, yeah. And so they, they wanted the money. Yeah. So the Americans wanted to, were not a fan of the nationalization of mm -hmm the copper mining and so this is when nixon got butt hurt and kissinger <laughs> was like we need to protect our corporate interests we need to protect our millionaires and make sure our millionaires are making more millions mm -hmm, so mm -hmm, this guy who is who is making sure that wages are um rising in chile and costs of living are staying down and low and who's giving universal health care to people and who's giving um education for people who's doing the most good we're gonna take him out just so that american businessmen can keep on making more billions this yes. is how america operates it's 
Oh my God. When you, the, the more you think about this and the more you learn about this, you're, you're like, I, oh my mind blown how evil this country can be. Yeah. And has well, and how much it's motivated on, um, on, on money and power, um, exactly. the power that money brings. Like that's, that's just, it's driving force. He had, um, free, let's see. So, um, he was implementing healthcare, education, uh, he was redistributing lands and um, nationalized between one fifth and one quarter of all properties. Uh, he improved the socioeconomic welfare of Chile's poorest citizens, nationalized em- enterprises and public work projects. And in 1970, he gave 3,000 scholarships to Mapuche children in an effort to integrate the indigenous minority into the educational system. 120,000 residential buildings. Can you imagine if in the United States we're like, we're going to build 120,000 apartment buildings to give houses to people? Mm. Would never happen. Would never yeah. happen. Like when When we have a president, we're like, oh, he was a good president. He kept evil from happening. But like Allende is actually doing the thing. He uh, fixed bread prices, um, sent 55,000 volunteers to the country to teach writing and reading skills and provide medical attention to a part of the population that had been previously ignored. He had an obligatory minimum wage for workers of all ages. Free school meals were established. Which is a nice one. Yeah, rent reductions, social security payments, public works program, exemptions on taxes to small proprietors. And according to one estimate, purchasing power for individuals went up by 28% between 1970 and 1971. So the common uh, theme in the United States when we talk about Allende is that he destroyed the economy. Mm-hmm. He destroyed the economy for who? Because it seems like for like the average middle class worker, they were able to finally like afford to buy things and to live. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you were a large corporate entity, you probably weren't doing great. Um, but it seems like for the average citizen, things were, life was getting better. Nixon wanted to protect American geopolitical interests by preventing the spread of communism during the Cold War. In 1970, Nixon informed the CIA that the Allende government in Chile would not be acceptable and authorized $10 million to stop Allende from coming to power or they, they wanted to unseat him. A CIA document declared that it is firm and continuing policy that Allende will be overthrown by a coup. Henry Kissinger's 40 committee and CIA plan to impede Allende's investiture as president of Chile with covert efforts known as Track 1 and Track 2. Track 1 sought to prevent Allende from assuming power via parliamentary trickery. While track two was the CIA trying to convince key Chilean military officers to carry out a coup. Mm -hmm. And recent documents declassified under the Clinton administration showed that the United States government and the CIA sought to overthrow Allende in 1970 immediately before he took office. Mm -hmm. Many documents regarding the United States intervention in Chile remain 
remain classified. Those that have been declassified showed that Nixon, Kissinger, and the United States government were aware of the coup and plans to overthrow Allende's democratically elected government. This is Allende's birth chart. He has a whole bunch of planets in Cancer. So cancer is associated with nurturing, the desire to provide for people, uh, the desire to, you know, keep people fed and housed and comforted. His son is on the South Node in cancer. That points to the idea that at some point in his life, and, and he's he was born before an eclipse, like right before an eclipse. So an eclipse is symbolic of endings, especially throughout history, throughout ancient times. Um, leaders were killed or assassinated around eclipses. And so here uh, in his birth chart, he was born before an eclipse. So that tends to point that at some point in, in his life, his light will be shut out. I mean, luckily he did live like late 60s or 70s. So he did live a long time and he was able to accomplish a lot. But then the aftermath of the coup, everything that he had accomplished in his life was snuffed out. Mm -hmm. And um, for, from your perspective and from what you learned from your parents and what happened after the coup? What was life in Chile like? So my parents describe um, kind of the time leading up to it as a lot of like civil unrest, a lot of people who were believing the news and the propaganda that was happening at the time. So I think one of the, um, uh, like an important part of like what their fa their phases of one and phase two were, were um, uh, getting the propaganda out that Allende was doing a lot of wrong and a lot of bad for the country. Um, and they used IT as as kind of like a way to kind of funnel money into the country to then support all this propaganda and um, ITT that, that's a was that the, paper yeah ITT was that the telecom company yeah the telecom, okay. telecom okay. and uh, telegraph they were very reliant on like the American owned copper mines for their copper wiring is that yeah and they, they also had major major um U.S. ownership of the company as well Okay. So it was kind of like leaning into an American company that lived and, and operated in Chile, which was something that Allende was definitely like, no, we want like Chile for Chileans, not um, American economic interests mm -hmm. um, coming in and, and taking our resources without fair, you know, exchange <laughs> um, for those resources. So, so like they controlled media and through that media, we're able to kind of like get, um, some like strikes that were happening in the streets. So my my dad and my mom were watching these strikes happen that were all like anti-Yende, pro-overthrowing this president who's done all these terrible things to the country um, and trusting their gut of like, none of that is true. <laughs> like all of that yeah. is bullshit for, compared to what I actually see happening in, in all of these social realms. Because again, they're like college students in their like late teens and they're looking around and they're seeing, you know, the homes that are being built and they're, they were part of, um, that movement that was, you know, going out into the country and, and teaching um, literacy and the, seeing all the social good that was happening. Yeah. And then hearing this kind of like this drumbeat of lies through the media that were coming through. So um, they were doing all of the protesting. They were out in the streets. Um, and when the political coup happened, like that turnover, um, there was an immediate arrest of a lot of professors and, and college students because they were the rabble rousers or the ones out there being the most vocal 
and uh, universities were closed down. There was an immediate curfew set. They took the risk of going out in the middle of the night and, you know, painting the murals that they painted, leaving behind the, like, the, the posters and everything to kind of just, like, remind people that despite the, the immediate oppression of this dictatorship that took over on September 11th, that there, that hope was still out there, that people still were fighting. They just, they couldn't do it in the light of day anymore. Fascinating. And it's so interesting that I'll have to describe his chart for those listening. He has his son in cancer, which is like applying to a conjunction with the South Node. Uh, He has uh, Neptune in cancer, Mercury retrograde in cancer, Venus in cancer, Venus retrograde in cancer, and Mars in cancer. And wait a minute, is that Mars in cancer? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Mars and cancer. Um, Everything's so close together. It's like hard to see. Mm. But um, so basically like Neptune, Venus, Mercury are all conjunct. And so some words that keywords that come up when like Mercury and Neptune are conjunct are like lies, lies being told about him. Uh, You know, we Mm. don't have his exact rising sign, so we can't determine anything like that. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, the moon and Pluto in a Mercury ruled Gemini. Yeah. You know, confusion, uh, even with his death, like we're we're not exactly sure if it was a suicide or if he was killed. Um, So there's just so much uh, confusion around the whole, whole thing of his presidency. And he also has to make things even more confusing. He has, Uranus opposite Neptune. So Uranus, that planet of change, that planet of like advancing technology, um, opposite Neptune wall conjunct his Mercury retrograde. And so there's just so much, so much uh, confusion. It seems like there's other forces at work, just making things extremely, there's like, an, there's idealism, but confusion are basically two big words that are coming up as I'm looking mm. at his chart here. Mm. And, and he has, uh, he has Saturn in Aries, which is where Saturn is in its detriment. So Saturn being ruled by Mars, you know, Saturn, the planet of death being ruled by Mars, the planet of, you know, attacks next to Jupiter, like the the planet that deals with foreign travel. So we do kind of see that theme of like an attack coming from abroad. It's really, really interesting. It's interesting that death is such a signature in his chart with, since he worked in a morgue when he was studying medicine after graduating. So that's really interesting. Uh, The, so kind of the timeline of the coup is at 8.30 a.m., armed forces declared their control of Chile and that Allende was deposed. Mm. Um, and that at that point, he grasped the magnitude of the military's rebellion. Despite the lack of military support, Allende refused to resign his office. And this here happened uh, during Libra rising, 8.30 a.m. So he's still trying to, with, with Venus and Libra there, um, really interesting, but Mars ruled the other party. So like he is trying his best to work things out, but Mars is, which is the seventh house is ruled by Mars and Mars at that point is in the eighth house of death. 
So at this moment, and then look at Saturn is almost conjunct the South node there or the North node there. This is right before you were born. So mm. his desire to bring, um, bring new nourishment and, and sustenance and comfort to, to the people is being cut off by Saturn, that planet of death and endings. Mm. So even just you look at the chart of like 8.30 a.m. when this is all going down, you can tell that this is not going to have a good ending because as even as the ascendant continues turning, we're going to go into Scorpio where a Mars that's very debilitated in Taurus is going to be ruling and you know, interestingly, this point in Mars and Taurus, this is was when that July, January 6th happened, where the, where all of those crazy GOP people mm -hmm. tried to stop the US election. The um, uh, attempted was, insurrection? Yeah, the <laughs> attempted insurrection. That was Mars and Taurus. So it's all going to, and then at nine, the armed forces controlled Chile, except for the city central of Santiago. And they were declared they would bomb the presidential palace. And they eventually did bomb the presidential palace, yeah. which is crazy. And at 10.30 a.m., Allende gave his farewell speech telling the nation that the coup d'etat was happening, but he refused to resign, elected under threat. And he did tell his daughter like a while before this happened that he would either leave the presidential office, you know, as the president, or he would leave, you know, feet first in a body bag or something like that. So he said, he said something like that. So he, he did make it clear, you'll have to carry out my dead corpse. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm not leaving. Um, his farewell speech said, workers of my country, I have faith in Chile and its destiny. Other men will overcome this dark and bitter movement moment when treason seeks to prevail keep in mind that much sooner than later the great avenues will again be open through which we will pass free men to construct a better society long live chile long live the people long live the workers uh, yeah. At 1.50 p.m., Allende ordered the defenders of the presidential palace to surrender. The defenders then formed a line on the second floor, down the stairs, and onto the street door. The president went along the line from the ground floor up the stairs, shaking hands and thanking everyone personally for their support in the difficult moment. At the end of the queue, Allende turned towards Independence Salon located on the northeast side of the palace's second floor. And at the same time, um, a member of the infirmary staff decided to return upstairs to recover his gas mask. He wanted to take it as a souvenir and he heard a noise and opened the door of the salon in time to see the president shoot himself with his AK-47, or so he says, from the other side of the salon and through an open door, uh, another doctor and a member of the cabinet and a functionary and two detectives uh, were able to see the moment of death. A lot, lot of people and uh, a few others were attracted to by the noise. And this is the moment of that the death, uh, which is a Capricorn rising chart with uh, with Jupiter in Aquarius in the second house, the moon in the third house in 
Pisces um, and the moon is ruling the seventh house of other people. And interestingly, the, the Mars at this point is in the fifth house, uh, which is Taurus. And Pluto is really close to the midheaven in Libra. Um, and I wonder, and at this point, Virgo is the ninth house, uh, which rules other like foreign travel, foreign countries. And we have both Mercury and the sun in Virgo. So that's a very strong part of the chart, but also the 10th house, uh, which has Pluto there. And maybe that Pluto and on the midheaven might've been like the moment of his death. Um, and the moon had just finished a square to Neptune at that point. But this, since this is a day chart, Mars is the most malefic planet. And Jupiter is retrograde. Jupiter is the most benefic planet. It's retrograde. And so the um, Mars there in the fifth house is like pointing to this is going to be a bad time for the future of Chile's children, of, for the future of any good fortune coming to Chile in, because of this event. Really, really interesting. Um, Allende's death marked the beginning of a dark period in Chilean history, the military treated Chile like an occupied country, football stadiums and army barracks became detention centers, hundreds of thousands of people were arrested and detained over the next few months, foreigners were sought out as members of a supposed guerrilla army that had been assembled under Allende, soldiers disobeying orders were shot, senior officers perceived as close to Allende were arrested and tortured and some were killed. The ordinary members of Chile's left wing parties and the trade unions were hunted down and many were killed and disappeared. How did your parents escape the country? So my parents um, continued to be involved and just um, as covertly as possible being um, anti-dictatorship, anti-Pinochet. My my mom's home in Concepcion, Chile um, was um, the secret police came to the door and my mom wasn't home, but they raided her room and they turned everything over. So my mom never returned to that home. Um, and from, if I remember the story correctly, they they kind of left within like a 24 hour period of the secret police looking for her in her mom's home. Um, they escaped over the mountains into Argentina. They mm-hmm. left me behind to um, be with my, my grandparents on my dad's side of the family in Santiago. Um, and I think for about a year or so, um, we're in Argentina um, trying to just figure out how to start life with as an un- undocumented um, wow. political refugees into Argentina. So like figure out how to make money and where to live, survive and, or how to survive, where to live, um, how to get reunited with me after needing to flee um, under those circumstances. And so they lived in Argentina for a while, but then you mentioned, you know, Operation Condor. My dad is listed as a person of interest in 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 a list of people who there was a, an, an equal exchange program for the the cops on both sides of the borders. So like Argentina would capture all the Chileans that had fled and trade them over to, to Chile for the, oh. all of the Argentinians who had fled the military regime that was happening and all the turmoil that was happening in Argentina fleeing into Chile. And they would just be this exchange of, um, you know, the people that they've been arresting. So they oh were <laughs> they found themselves um again in trouble in Argentina and unable to kind of like uh just be safe there um and I don't know what the direct direct connection is 
but a family in Burlington, Iowa fundraised to try and rescue a family from like the the fires of South America at that time. Um, and somehow we're able to like connect with my family in Chile and like lifted us all up. My mom, my dad, my brother and me out of um, Buenos Aires, Argentina, tossed us in a plane and flew us across uh, into the United States and smack into Burlington, Iowa. Oh, and wow. I was five years old by that point. Just basically, was this someone that your parents knew or just like, just no, it was just like very... a family, a family in, in, in Burlington, Iowa, who were just passionate about like, we got to do something. What can we do? And they wanted to try to support um, so immigrants fleeing all of those areas. So they just fundraised through their church and through the church, we were able to connect with human rights and human humanitarian organizations in in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and somehow my family won that lottery of just getting scooped out of like all of that political turmoil and and popped off into Burlington, Iowa. Oh my God, that's like the most luckiest break. Mm -hmm. And you know, you are a Jupiter ruled ascendant. uh, So Jupiter is the planet associated with luck. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if have you ever had any other just like lucky? Wow, that was a lucky thing that happened to me. Oh yeah, lots. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots. <laughs> That's amazing. What's another lucky story? Oh, um, oh God. Uh, let's see. I think that kind of tying back into like following my instinct and be like, hmm, maybe I'll take a pause for just a second. Um, two times I used to ride the when I first moved to California. I didn't have a car, so we were able to afford a single motorcycle between us. Um, and I used to get to work uh, on my motorcycle, and two near death experiences on the motorcycle. Where like, um, in one of them, my, my buddy was in his truck behind me. I was working in tile and like, he's sitting in the truck behind me. I'm waiting for the light to change. And, um, the light turns green and me on my little motorcycle, like just take a pause for a moment, just a moment to be like, okay, like, I don't know why, but I'm not going to like gun it (laughs) on this green light. And in that flash of a little bit of time, like this semi truck, just like, flies through the intersection oh wow um, <laughs> and like the way and my my buddy behind me tells me because he was like you know nine sheets wider than he normally was <laughs> um like the timing of when I would have if I had just gunned it I would have just been a little gnat on the on the grill yeah. of that truck so like and I remember having a very a, a flash of like give me a pause just just a second before I like um I step my foot out <laughs> that's that amazing um and then there was a, a second like total luck trusting my instinct um um while on the motorcycle I was following a truck that had like some uh plastic sheeting like just kind of flapping in the wind and I was like that is going to fly off any second now so I had taken my um my hand off the throttle and I was just starting to slow down a little bit um when that damn thing like took off and like hit me and I caught it on my shoulder and onto my torso but it missed my face (laughs) and it missed my front tire and I was able to like shaking like a leaf pull over off the highway and onto the shoulder and then just kind of like sit there until like the shaking like subsided enough to be able to like wrap up the plastic and um wow (laughs) so yeah a lot of uh, but like lucky breaks like that I don't know yeah it's interesting that both lucky breaks 
were, are things related to moving and transportation? Because the third house is often associated with transportation and how you get around. And so you mm -hmm. have lucky breaks. Well, well, it seems like your siblings probably have been also very lucky in their life because your third house rules your siblings. And mm -hmm. maybe your siblings are a source of luck for you as well. They're definitely a source of joy. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the, we, we get together and we turn into like, a troop right out of Monty Python. We just make each other laugh. We're just a bunch of clowns. It's so much fun. I love that. <laughs> so out of out of something that's so dark, that's uh, you know, luck and joy happen. Uh, but sure, you know, this was absolutely devastating for Chile. The mm -hmm. um, period prior to the coup was a time when Chile was a middle-class country with about 30% or 9 million Chileans being middle-class. The collapse of Chilean democracy marked the end of democratic governments and uh, end of elections that have been held since 1932. And historian Peter Wynn described the 1973 coup as one of the most violent events in Chilean history. Um, so as I said, I was trying to find films, biographies, mm. anything. Um, so for I think for people who do not live in the United States, you can watch Salvador Allende by Patricio Guzman, which is a biography of um, Allende and the coup. Seems like it's a really good film. I would love to find a way to get a hand. I think I have to get like a DVD player. <laughs> and so I can like buy the DVD and play the right. DVD. <laughs> But I would love to hear from anyone if you happen to watch that film. I would love to know about it. Uh, and that covers the Chilean coup uh, and also your life. So you have just finished a second house year, which is which means that you have done a lot of thinking about your finances and how you make money and your relationship, how you share resources with other people. And mm. any debts have have you had you been thinking about that for the last year or so? Well, yeah. In separating, we own a home together, so just mm -hmm. kind of like the the kind of slogging through the reality, the adulting, and the realities of kind of how to how to pull apart a life that has like been kind of so matched in together all for all these years. Um, and that includes property and finances and weirdness like that. So, yeah, I've, it's definitely been on my mind a lot. And, um, and also, like, figuring out, like, how to do, how to, how to make photography a thing for me. Like, I want to live the rest of my life in the creative realm. Like, I want to I be a creative person surrounded by creative people in that frenetic energy of, um, of magic making and... Um, like how how to segue into that so that I like can make a living off of it, and I'm not um, like the job I have now is fine, but it's definitely a job where like I'm a shadow of myself in the time that I'm there. Like I just mm -hmm. go in and I do the job and I get out, um, and life is too short to even do that at this point. Like I just want to be fully immersed in creativity at all times. So how yeah. how to make a life in a in a system where we can't just barter <laughs> yeah yeah I yeah. think you will figure it out uh I so you're now in your third house year which is that year where 
Jupiter is activated for you. So you're going to have, start having a lot of luck um, now that you've entered, had your birthday recently and Jupiter's uh, going through your sixth house of work. So this, when, when I had Jupiter in my sixth house, I changed jobs and, mm. um, and so maybe you might be changing jobs too, mm. uh, but you're going to have a lot of luck. So especially if really it's just like walking around and communicating and reaching out to people and um, you through your siblings and stuff you're going to have a lot of luck. I think you're going to figure it out what you need to do with the photography thing. Um, especially like, yeah, you'll, you'll figure it out, but it seems like you might be doing a lot of moving around and traveling and stuff this year. And it seems like in, by your next birthday, you're going to be thinking about where you want to live permanently. And mm. you might be moving a long distance from where you are currently now. So it no, won't necessarily be this year, but but your next birthday, that year after your next birthday, that is when you will likely be moving probably uh, far from where you currently live now. Hmm. All right. Are you thinking of moving yeah. anywhere? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think once we figure out like sale of a house, um, I would... I have family here in in San Diego, but like I I want to, I would love to figure out how to live in LA, but I also want to start kind of maybe setting some roots in Chile again, um, yeah. Because my mama is you know ready to retire, and like I'm looking down the road at like where do I want to to spend the last of my days, and I think being closer to like our larger network of family is makes sense. And here in the United States, it's just immediate siblings. And then my mom and my dad. So yeah, um, Chile makes sense. So figuring out how yeah. to make that happen would be great. I th well, I think you might be traveling at least to Chile uh, at your after your next birthday. Mm -hmm. uh, so definitely see that there happening mm -hmm. for you. Yeah, um, I've actually done a lot of traveling like in this year through the fandom. Like I went to, mm -hmm. um, and for the first time too, right? So like yeah. he, here I am like kind of separating from my partner of 27 years and like traveling by myself to a thing that I want to do just for me. So I went to ECC by myself um, or ECCC. Yeah. Um, and that was like the first time I met people in real life through the fandom. The first time I traveled alone to a con. Um, mm -hmm. The first time I traveled with like some idea of maybe doing some cosplay while I was there. So I traveled with like my whole cosplay outfit and everything. So like that was a first on a lot of levels. And since then I went to like New York, I've been up and down to LA so many times with the strike, like all of that has been in like this, this like a kind of new, um, the newness of uh, your new life, my new life <laughs> of being, being kind of single again, or being myself again and being like pursuing piracy. <laughs> in, your, in your little car named the revenge <laughs> my little prius uh revenge <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> lovely well it was so great talking to you oh, where can people find you online um so okay so through twitter um i'm still kind of running the W WGA underscore fandom love 
on Twitter. And that was kind of like the beginning of um, our flag means strike kind of offshoot to just bring together people who are parts of fandoms who want to support people who are on strike within the industries of, of the stories that they love. So the writers, the actors, down the road, IATSE. So that's that's something that I want to kind of keep up and running um, as like a, a point place for fandom intersecting with people who are in the industry and needing support from fandom. Um, and then I have um, through Instagram and through TikTok, just um, my photography, which is um, Fangirl Photo, F-O-T-O, um, is where I've been putting up all of my pictures for the strike and also like the pictures that I've been taking from uh, all of the cons that I've been attending as well. So those are those are the two main ones that are fun. And then I've got like a storytelling one of, um, what is it, what do I call it? Um, Vieja Genexa. <laughs> so like old Gen X lady. Um, Love it. That's both on <laughs> TikTok and Instagram as well. And that one is just um, building it up to be like a little bit of a storytelling uh, reflections on life. I've had a lot of different careers in these many, many years and like just a lot of cool stories to tell about those, um, what I've learned in all those different career paths. So like um, wanting a little space to kind of tell stories and that's where I've been kind of slowly building. The very first post of that was um, post splitting up with my partner and like mm-hmm. kind of um, figuring some shit out. So for someone who is like, I may, maybe I should take this leap and, you know, leave my partner, start a new life, do something like that. What what would your advice be to them? Mm. Um, so I think uh, why it lasts 27 years is because uh, my partner's like a genuine friend. Like I um, love spending time with her and we are very good friends. Um, but there, it's a study of like how much compromise is too much compromise. And I was starting to lose myself in that relationship. I was starting to lose um, who I am. Um, and the further I got away from like who I became, the more like like desire I had to like just get back to um, being about passion and fire and like just running and just, yeah, sprinting off into the night. Um, so... <laughs> kind of like that split like the more we became domesticated like the more feral I wanted to be um I love that so so not to wait that long (laughs) um but to kind of like honor the fact that like you are an individual who deserves um to live a full life you know and and if that means that you have to be alone for a little while to do it then like it's it's worth um kind of fighting through the fear of letting go of something that's constant and familiar um, for for the trade-off of discovering who you are and, and finding something new. So like post-breakup, I started an Instagram account. I got a whole sleeve tattoo about the new fandom that I fell into <laughs> and I joined an improv group. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I like uh, threw myself face first into things that were really super scary and really challenging and um have come through it like really fucking happy yes <laughs> really happy to be here so it was it was worth the the letting go of security and familiarity and and um a comfort that was no longer a comfort mm-hmm. um so to get here but yeah um, I'm proud of yeah. you. We only have this one life. <laughs> yes. I'm proud of you. You did so much. Thank you, Thank you so much for being on the show. 
Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> Music for the show is provided by Bruno Loreto. Follow us on Instagram at the Astrology of Terrible Things, all one word. Thank you.